Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Brewer, John Spear. Joining me is uh, co-host Etienne Nichols. Etienne, how are you doing today? Hey, John. Doing good. Good to be back. Joining us um, is a repeat uh, guest, Mark Rukovich with Innovize and Casilla. So, and Mark, welcome back. And I feel like every time I'm saying your name, I'm getting a little bit better at pronouncing it. So thanks for bearing <laughs> with me. Well, thanks, John. Thanks for having me again. Uh, Etienne, nice to see you again. So bill of materials, and maybe this is a good place to start. I think a lot of people don't, especially newbies to med device, don't necessarily understand what a bill of material is, what it is not. And I would say they don't understand the correlation or the relationship between a bill of material and the DMR and, and the design controls. So maybe that's right. a good place to kind of paint the picture for folks. That's, that's what I was going to start with, too. So good. dive in. The quality system, the quality system requirements, both in ISO and FDA, they've added design controls, which is great because it's sort of the front end. So as you look at design controls, there are design inputs, design outputs, design verification, design validation. Design output, that is what is your design going to be? And so that's the design output. Now, everything that's developed out of design controls is part of what's called the design history file. So your design history file is everything associated with design. Now, Part of the regulation talks about the device master record, all the information required to build the product. Well, the DMR is actually an output, is a design output. So the DMR is actually part of your design history file. You can you can debate this with auditors, but it doesn't really matter as long as you have them. You need to you need to have them, and they need to be controlled. So your design output, device master record, is everything you needed to build the product. So what do you need to build the product? Well, all the parts in the product need to be listed and defined and controlled. Now, device master record also though includes the instructions to build the product, who are your suppliers for those components, and then what operational steps to manufacture that. So, I mean, the, the bill of materials can also, you can also grow it to be a bill of documents and a bill of operations. I mean, all that is sort of what's required to build a product. So simply saying, let's just cover the bomb because that's the easiest one to recognize. It's like, if you know you have, I have a catheter, I have tubing, I have a handle. Okay, those are two parts. Those are parts that are be on your build material. There's a packaging material. So there's a pouch that it goes into. There's a label that goes on it. There's an IFU and it goes in a box. Okay, those are like six components that are beyond your build material. Now, what's interesting is what the design people, the designers come up with, they're using CAD tools to build this out. And so we're using CAD tools. Um, the CAD tool itself, you have to create what's called a PRT, a .PRT file for each part. So that just right. sort of describes each physical part. And then they throw in the CAD, they can 3D and they can connect them all together. And then when they put multiple parts together on a CAD drawing, they get what's called a .ASM file, which is the, it's the assembly of all the parts. So now you have two parts. So the, if you look in the CAD software, the, AS, the assembly has linked to it all the parts, which the software automatically prints it out, you know, can print it out onto a draw, design drawing. That's your bill of materials. 
great. I got to build materials. Uh, well, that's good for the designer, but how do you manufacture it? They don't, the designers don't put in the manufacturing process steps right. in there. So you got manufacturing steps. So um, I've talked about this a lot you know, as, as consilso and consulting with companies. It's like, so that build material, I ask, how many bills of materials do you have in your company for this product? And as I start asking questions, it's typically seven, eight. <laughs> so you have, you have the design document has the bill of materials on it. Well, it's in the CAD. Yeah. And then you create a design document. So there's two locations for your bomb. And then, um, oh, because it's part of your DMR, you create a DMR document. So your bomb is on your DMR document. And your manufacturing work instruction defines, I got to assemble this. I got some of this component, this component, this component. So your the bill of materials is defined in your manufacturing work instruction. Well, I need a DHR record, design history, device history record, evidence that I built it per the DMR. So you may create a separate form. That's your traveler document that has a bill of material on it. So now you're, now you're at five documents and then you got to buy the parts. So you load it in your ERP systems. Yeah. And then if you have a quality system tool, like you guys, you might have a bomb or a PLM system or something like that, you know, PDM system, the bomb is there. So which one is right? Well, they all have to be the same. <laughs> I mean, that's a nightmare. That's a, that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, you just gave then, me a headache. No, <laughs> I go to any medical advice company that I haven't touched. And it's like, yeah, they all sell the same things. Like, yeah, why, why does, why does an ECO take 30 days to process? That's you part know, of the, you know, the signature yeah. processes and that kind of stuff isn't done right. Begin the front end, but the back end is like, well, documentation takes a week to process it. Cause they have to change, make sure all the other documents are all changed at the same time. It's like, okay, one source for the truth. Here's the bomb. And right. this is what's going to be, and everything else has to match it. Right. You know, and you know, you don't need if you can if you have an electronic bomb that has also a bill of documents and the bill of operations, then you're sort of got it all in one spot. So one of the things I've done for other uh, a lot of companies on your bill of materials. Here's my materials. Then you on the bill of materials is you put a list of this is the manufacturing work instruction document. Here is all the tooling that's unique for that product is on the bill of material too. Um, and then, you know, depending on what kind of product you're making too, you know, you know, your ERP system might have a traveler, might have a standardized one. Uh, Innovise actually, since we're a contract manufacturer, we're infinitely flexible there because every product is different. And so we actually list, you know, here are all the different operational steps that it goes through. And each one, each one is different because we make, you know, 2000 different products for 200 different customers. So, um, it has to be that flexible. But I wasn't when I was in a contract, you know, when I was doing implantable heart occluders, we basically had three, three manufacturing travelers. So we just put an identifier saying this is, you know, this is routing A, routing B, and routing C on the bomb. So when you loaded, when the documentation group got the ECO to release, they would know how to load it into the ERP system correctly. And that's saying that was just showing our controls because we our, our workflows were really simple and manufacturing there because it was the same, it was basically the same parts we were making. So the uh, the situation you described, I'm familiar with that multiple bombs, and so this the solution you're kind of suggesting is having that one source of truth, and then the others point back to it or right. eliminate those. What what are you right? You need to define the biggest thing in, in the company is you define which one is the master. Okay. Now that that's sort of a bad word these days. Let's even say it's like which one is which one. Well, the master is this, but then everything else has to copy it. Right. So you know, the CAD drawing can do this. This is released here, but then the master is, and I really want to probably have an electronic 
So then if the master's electronic, then you can extract it. And you know, if it's like, if, if it's like an XML format, then it can be configured to look like a traveler. It can be configured to look like a design document. It can be configured and it's the same data. So it's just applying different style sheet to the data. So it'll look what the way you want it for the different users. Exactly. It's almost like the, the, the prime we'll, we'll use it. my wife uh, is in real estate. And so they've, they've changed. The new term is now the primary. So the primary is, uh, is the source of truth. It's where the, the metadata is. And it's almost right. like, if the contract manufacturer needs elements of the bill of material or the design file or the ECO, it's like pulling from that same data source, right? Right. Yeah. One source. Right. One source. So then when you change it, you change the source and everybody else has, if anybody has an issue, they know where to go versus say, like, well, my document says this. Well, your document's wrong. This is well, the one that's right. <laughs> and that's, you know, I've seen that problem so many times where, um, especially like when you have a relationship either with, you know, some sort of supplier, like uh, it could be a contract manufacturer, it could be a part supplier, you know, maybe you're getting an injection molded component, you know, it's like who owns the PRT and uh, who owns the CAD, who owns the design. And, and, you know, even with that, how do you know that the part you're getting is built to the right version of that <laughs> particular component. I mean, it's right. just, it can be a nightmare. Right. Yeah. So yeah, in the past, a lot of companies use PLM systems to help manage it. But if, if you don't have a PLM system, a lot of companies use document management systems. Um, you know, farm is totally, you know, document management. It's like, well, there's a, it's a process, but you know, med device is devices. So bombs make most sense. Now, one of the other things about a bomb, um, if you can add additional metadata to the bomb. So when you look at a bill of material, of wherever format it's, whichever it's in the paper or whatever, you know, each component on it should have a unique identifier. So a part numbers, whatever he does. And actually this is based all on, you know, configuration management uh, training. There's configuration management institute that does yeah. training on this. Yeah. I took that training. I, was, I, I knew this, I was a drafter back in high school. So I, I understood the bomb concept back then. Um, but, you know, with training and configuration management, I was like, oh, Yes. Okay. Now it all makes sense. You know, I always did it this way, but now I understand why, because they, they went through, you know, excruciating detail on how to do it. But the bill of material, the list, here's, here's the part number, here's the description of the part, and here's the quantity and the unit of measure. That is really the key of a bill of material. Now, yes. you add a fine number up front. So if you have a drawing, you put the number one, two, three, four, five, and then you have a, like a circular balloon with a number on it, and then it points to this is one, this is two, this is three, so that you can tell which ones are which. Great. So the fine number, the part number creates unique identification. The fine number helps organize it. Now, typically most software systems use the fine number and filter there. If there's no fine number, it'll filter by the, it'll sort it by the part number. Now, if you have electronics, circuit boards, on a circuit board, your components also are yeah. capacitors and resistors and integrated circuits. There's, un yeah. there's standardized methodology for naming those R1, R2, R3, C1, mm -hmm. C2, C. So then you add another column on your bill of material. That's your reference designators for electronic components. You really don't need that for mechanical components. Now, what most companies don't have, and I've always, always tell companies to add another column called your operational step. So what operational step in your manufacturing process is that component used? Now, if everything's on one manufacturing step, it's all op 10. So something simple, you really don't need it. But if you have, you know, it goes through multiple steps, 
you know, here, here it goes through, you know, machining and here it goes through cleaning and here it goes through packaging, op 10, op 20, op 30. Manufacturing wants the bomb to be organized the way they're going to use it, which is different than the way the design people. So if you have a table and, you know, fine numbers where the engineer, design engineers want it, the op step is how the manufacturing engineers want to see it. And then when you add in tooling and manufacturing work instructions, you could say, and the op step with that document or forms can be linked to it. So then they can sort the bomb by the op step and that's how they want to use it. And the design engineer sorts it by here and they don't look at anything below, like items one through a hundred fine numbers are what they use and they don't care about anything below it. And then that information is then used to load the ERP system. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I guess I really hadn't thought about it from that perspective before, because I, to your point, I mean, as a design engineer, when I think of bill of material, I'm almost thinking about it from the outside in. So I guess, you know, I'm oversimplifying here, but from a manufacturing standpoint, you know, they're going to look at it almost from the inside out and they're going to look at what are all the different sub assemblies and how do these different sub assemblies need to be snapped together and that sort of thing. So I think that that's a good tip to, for folks is however you build your bill of material, make sure you have attributes or metadata Defined such that it can accommodate, you know, the view points of view from a design perspective or points of view from a manufacturing perspective. Because right. if you don't speak that language, it's going to create some confusion. That's why there's multiple documents today. I mean, most companies have yeah. because the manufacturing people want to see it this way, design people right. want to see it this way, and they're not talking to each other. And that, and then, and then you get into the concepts of you know, design people's like, here I des- I designed this. Like, okay, so here I was at a um, when I was at you know, cardiac pacemakers, we're finding implantable pacemakers and stuff, you know, it, and it's how, what kind of hierarchy do you have in your bill of material? Like you, you know, what, where do you create a subassembly? Do I have one level? Here's the pacemaker and here's all the components in the pacemaker. No, because, you know, this is the finished good paste. And then if I sterilize it, it's a, it's a level below that. So you create another bot, another level. Oh, then the packaging level before it's sterilized, I want to give it another part number. And then I got the can assembly Then I got the hybrid assembly and then I have the computer chip assembly. So it's a, it's a six to seven level deep bill of material. You know, it's where your sub assembly and the sub assembly calls it another sub assembly. And so, you know, that's actually, they designed it. So it matches manufacturing more. Well, mm. when I was at a company doing external defibrillators, they blew it out this way. It's like, uh, wait, you can't build it that way. So the designer built it, laid it out in this CAD drawing. It's like, no. So we ended up creating part numbers in between, but yeah. using the same design drawings because they had it on one picture. It's like, no, we're going to do this as two manufacturing jobs and inter- you know do them differently, but using the same design drawings. So that's where that comes in and really helps understand things. So when you talk about building material, you really understand from the manufacturing. Now, if you're doing simple parts, it's all one. Um, and then the, the other yeah. concept on a bill of material that I just want to tell everybody here is like, so you got, you know, one assembly and you have parts and you have one drawing. If you have a raw material, a single part, this is really simple. I got one part, the part number and the document number. So a lot of people make them the same thing. It's like, well, yeah, you can, but you really should have a part number and a document number, two different things, because if you want to be consistent across your whole company. You know, one part has one drawing. Right. Well, if you have a tabulated drawing, oh, what's I have tubing and I'm buying this tubing from the supplier and I have, you know, five and six and seven and seven, eight and long lengths. I'm going to create dash numbers for each length because I want to create one drawing. I don't want to create seven different drawings 
and just only difference is its length. Right. I'll tabulate it, draw it once, and say the length is variable. So I have one drawing, multiple parts. Printed circuit boards are just the opposite. I got one part. You need more than one drawing to describe a circuit board. Right. You no. Know, what's the electrical schematic? What's the board layout? What's the whole whole drawings on it? What's the mechanical layout? I mean, you can have four. What's the test requirement? I've had like seven, eight documents that describe oh, one easy. part. I mean, you have multiple, you know, how many layers are in your board? You know, it's like, it makes them even more complicated. So, yeah. So you need to design a system that's flexible. It's like, well, but mine's really simple. Like, okay. Then for your company, you might want to just do it that way. But if you design for flexibility, then you're never going to have to worry about, oh, I got to change my quality system because I got this new product. Right. Because my quality system can't handle it. Right. So, well, I, I think a, a lot of you know I'm the thinking about how you're going to architect your system, and, you know, and I know um, you know having uh, spoken to you many times in the past and reading your book on Casilloso, this this is really the the premise behind that is you, you've got to be uh, thoughtful about how you're architecting a system. Don't just you know drop things in place and cross your fingers and hope that it works forever. You, it, it takes a little bit of thought. Right. Yeah. And, I, you know, so I've been in the industry 35 years and I've seen all kinds of, you know, startups to multinationals, you know, being on an acquisition, being the other end of acquisition, you know, disposable parts to capital systems. And it's like the, what I put in Consilso is the concepts and a lot of it's tied to, you know, concepts of configuration management, concepts of lean, concepts of system engineering are all what's in there. It's all it's all this best practices. I sort of put it down like from my, all my experiences in my device. This is the best way of doing it. And um, the one other thing then with a bill of material, when do you change a part number? It's like, well, I'm not going to change a part number. It's the same thing. No, as things change, you need to determine rules of interchangeability. This is, you know, in, in previous podcasts, we talked about you know the UDI and there's rules of interchangeability. There's rules of interchangeability right. in your assembly. And you know, the basic question here is, if you change the product, and it's like, do you want to put them, could you put them in the same bin in inventory? You don't care when, when your shipping guy picks it out. Does he care which one he pulls out? If he doesn't care, then they're interchangeable. It's like, no, 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 no. That can only go there. And this can only go there. Well, then they have to have, to have two different part numbers. They can't right. have the same part number anymore. They need you to change your part numbering so that he can't pull the wrong part to ship to a customer. So rules of interchangeability and your part numbering on your bomb is really important. I mean, this is an area that a lot of companies get tripped up because, you know, versioning or, uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, well, we, we have, um, you know, version and how do you plan the obsolescence and, and all these sorts of things. But that, I like the way you simplified that description. Like if the, it doesn't, if the distinction does not matter, then it is same partner part number. If it, the distinction is a, a difference that is important, then they're separate, you know? So I, I get that. That's a really simple way to think about it. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a lot of schemes. I mean, my book, I actually talk about, there's three ways of doing part numbering too. I mean, there's, yeah. there's what most med device most people say is you do a semi-smart number. You know, you have a base number and you use dash numbers so that they, these are associated with it. So that's really good. I've done it where you have pure uh, sequential numbering. Everything just gets a new number. There's no dashes. Everything gets new. It works. It works really well. Trying to find things that are related are, is tougher. Then yeah. you get to the other end. Every every digit in the part number means something. And then you're going to run will, out of digits it will, <laughs> it will break down. Marketing yeah. can use that for the model number. Great. But don't use it for your part numbering. It's going to fail. 
no matter yeah. it, it, you can't design that so that just use it semi smart numbering. Yeah, smart numbers get dumb pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, um, so you mentioned the the revise or well, I think John mentioned the revising or the versioning of the part. Right. What about alternate parts within a bomb? There, yeah, absolutely. So there's different ways of doing alternate parts depending on what kind of part it is. You could have, let's just say, you know, when I was doing electro electrical components on a circuit board, even in the military back, you know, way in the day when before I got into the even we had yeah. a spec number, a part number for this component. You know, it was a transistor. And it's like, it has to do this, this, and that. So the spec is generic. And then you can have multiple suppliers and here's their part, you know, so I can buy this from multiple parts, suppliers for that part. Same part number, not alternate primary. Cause I say I can buy it from, I can buy the same part from multiple manufacturers. Alternate primary, their parts are different. The specs are slightly different between the two. So you get two different part numbers. You can put them on the bill of material. Like I mentioned before, you want to have them, Give them the same fine number because they're located in the same spot in the design drawing and the same quantity. But you then you add another column in your bill of material, alternate primary subcontract, actually. I actually put three, an attribute. I've done it with three attributes. So this everything defaults as primary. You have one. But if you put an alternate, then you control it in, in the quality system as your alternate primary. Now, the ERP system only wants one number. You cannot put all. ERP systems don't like alternate primaries yeah. at all. So you can say, this is what it is, and we've loaded it this way. Now, if the buyer says, I can't buy that part, okay, according to the quality system, I can use the alternate, and they can look in the system and say, oh, I can swap it, and then you change the ERP system for that job, whatever, and use the alternate part because it's allowed over here. So that's how you want to be able to do that. And then you know, sometimes subcontractors, you know, I want them to make the part. I'm going to give them part of it and they're going to return part of it back. And so it's sort of subcontracted build. So um, that's typically dealing with alternate primaries uh, on the build material. So you define it up front and it has to be approved through the ECO process. That makes sense. That that find column, I think, is kind of invaluable as well. It's like you mentioned the uh, right. primary, secondary. That That's great. Very cool. Um, so we talked about contract manufacturing in a previous episode as well. So the bomb... I mean, it seems obvious, I guess, but really nothing's obvious. Who owns the bomb in these different scenarios? That's a good question. <laughs> the device manufacturer owns the bomb. <laughs> you're, you own the DMR. You're telling the contract manufacturer to build it for the DMR. Now, the contract manufacturer can give you lots and lots of help, um, but you're responsible for it. I mean, we have, we've had, we have had startups come here. It's like, well, I need a drawing. It's like, okay, we can make it for you as a service. You own it. What number do you want? I don't know. Like, they have to sign it. They're the only approver is the design, is the, the medicalized manufacturer is the approver of the document. This is your document that we're going to build to because you signed it. You don't have a quality system yet. You need to have one, but we'll, you know, and then it's like, well, what number do I give it? Well, call it this. It's like, so the part number is, you know, wound care dressing. It's like, okay, that's not a number, but you don't have any other way of, of assigning it. So you're doing it that way. That's fine. But um, they own the manufacturer, own, the device manufacturer owns the bomb because they own the DMR and they own a design history file. Well, but let me ask a uh, follow-up to that. Who owns the suppliers? Oh, well, your quality system needs to <laughs> I define. Like the <laughs> your quality system needs to define who your suppliers are. Device yeah. master record should define on your bill of material 
who is the supplier for each of those parts? Like I talked about in alternate primary. So some, some systems, some PLM systems, you know, you have the supplier of the part and you have the part number and you link in on an electronic ECO, you link yeah. in which part number, which manufacturer's part number from which manufacturer is approved for that part. And if it's one-to-one, -one, then it's only one. Yeah. Um, but that is all part of your device master record. And it's sort of a tied to the bomb, but it's really part of the whole thing. And some, some tools out there have that all linked in there. I'm not sure if right. your new one's going to have that or not, but um, that's what you want to want to do. Cause that's really, if you want to do, if you have it all in one tool, then you can run a report and do, I want to, you know, like I said, you can have multiple views of your bomb. You could run a bomb explode report. Okay. Bomb will explode <laughs> into a document. B -O -M. That has, <laughs> B -O -M. <laughs> and it, it basically goes down through the multiple levels because yeah. you have, you know, all the, all the levels, all, here's all the components. Here's all the parts. Here's the quantity. And here's the supplier. That's actually your device master record. Yeah. So there's a listing yeah. of your device master record and they can, and that can be actually in some tools. It's like, it's set by effectivity date. So this is what the, what did this DMR look like? You could say every second of every day as different parts change, you can tell you what the DMR is at that, at that point in time. Yeah. Again, at the end, I think we're finding that whenever we have Mark on the uh, global medical device podcast, we could talk for, for a long, long time on each one of these topics. Uh, this might be a good point again, to put kind of a pin in this topic. Uh, let me, hopefully say the right thing and, and kind of summarize a bill of material. It's I, I use, um, I've used this as an analogy or metaphor, whatever the right assembly, whatever the right uh, English con construct is. But uh, the way I think of a bill of material is it's a list of ingredients and by itself, eh, it's not super intelligent. It doesn't necessarily tell you what order to, to put those ingredients together per se. And this is where the, contents of your DMR are more like the recipe uh, that talk about when to use this ingredient and that ingredient and to, to combine them. Do you think that's a, it's probably overly simplistic, but do you think that's a good way to sort of think about that's that? A really good way. That's a really good way. Yeah. And it's like, I'm making chocolate chip cookies. Oh, I'm going to swap butter sh scotch chips. Well, it's no longer chocolate chip cookies. It's not yeah. interchangeable. It's butter scotches. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that uh, note, now that I'm now thinking about food, let's let's uh, um, let's call this one a wrap. Mark uh, Rikovich with uh, Innovise and Casilla. So, Mark, this has been a, a great time. I'm glad we've had an opportunity to to continue conver uh, conversations with you on a variety of topics. And you know, we'll hopefully we'll find other opportunities to chat again real soon. But thank you so much. Sure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. And, Etienne, uh, I, I know you're having a good time, so we're, we're kind of getting in a rhythm here. So, um, But, uh, of course, thank you as well for, for co-hosting. Yeah, absolutely. And, folks, again, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard me if you've listened to the Global Medical Device Podcast, which since we're number one, I'm guessing you've, you've listened to an episode a, a time or two. And, and if this is your first time, welcome. But, you know, uh, Greenlight Guru, we're here to help you. We, we have a medical device success platform, a software solution that helps you manage many details of your life as a medical device professional. And, and now we have, or soon we'll have functionality on helping you better connect the dots between your design history file, your DMR, and your bill of materials. So uh, pretty exciting. If you'd like to see that 
those features and functionality and how they all tie together, well, just reach out to us. Go to www.greenlight.guru and uh, um, click a button that says, you know, you'd like to learn more. You'd like to have a call. You'd like to have a conversation. And we'd love to, to have that conversation with you. We'd love to understand what your needs and requirements are and see if we have solutions that can help you better manage your bill of material and connect that information to your design control and your design history file and, and be able to convey that information to your manufacturer. So check it out. As always, thank you for listening. And uh, until next time, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.